gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you got all the advantages. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Podcast Network. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue-eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one. The only jail. Thank you as always for that wonderful introduction, Mike. This is, uh, it's crazy. It feels like the season has flown by and now we're into the silly season portion of the year, uh, with, with coaching changes and, and transfer portal news and playoffs and, and, uh, all kinds of announcements that, that don't pertain to actual on field content, but, uh, it, it's, it's been a crazy year. Uh, I'm sure you've been extremely busy these past few weeks with all the stuff happening around the state of Texas. Uh, but you know, it's uh it's kind of a bittersweet, right? As as one chapter ends, you know, we get to the uh the end of the fourteen playoff, twelve teams coming in next year. I mean, there's just a ton to talk about, isn't there? It's amazing that college football tries to have its off season in the season. <laughs> like, it's just crazy. You know, like you don't get any, like while the season is going, there's coaching changes going on. The portal opened up on Monday. Staffs are being filled. And then there'll be another round of this come end of December, early January, as position coaches start kind of getting replaced and leaving for better jobs or getting coordinator spots. And so uh, the first round of the coaching carousel tends to be kind of head coaches and lower level staffers. And then as it moves on, the coordinators and stuff start start moving around. That's kind of shout out to AM for kind of getting it done and dusted uh, by the time the portal came around. And that's why they did it. That's why they fired Jimbo early. That's why they tried to get a replacement in there the day after the regular season ended, it's because this has hit the ground running. You don't have until February to figure this out. You don't have. You know, I, I heard coaches, I mean, Sonny Dykes talked to me about this last year when we were building the magazine. You used to get to campus and you didn't have to worry about your roster. You would get the job in December, maybe early January, and then you'd recruit until the National Signing Day in February. And then you would worry about your roster in a will, real way going into spring practice. But now with the transfer portal and with the early signing period, like you don't have that kind of time and luxury. And we're starting to see the clock sped up. Texas A&M. Uh, the perfect example of that. In this episode, we will kind of break it up into uh, into downs like we normally do. Uh, first down will be coaching stuff, just kind of cleaning house on the Elko thing and looking at what the potential staff could end up, you know, looking like a- as this goes on. Starting to hear a couple of names. One name is pretty much official. Second quarter, we'll talk some transfer portal. You know, there's a couple of big names in the portal. We'll look at you know who are the priorities to keep, what are the positions of need. Uh, third third down, we'll we'll do bowl game stuff. There there is one more football game in this football season. We'll talk a little bit about the Texas Bowl against Oklahoma State, and then in the fourth quarter, we will talk. Ask Jay. I, I on the eyes on Texas, we do quarters. On this one, we do downs, and it's like really messing me up. I think I've I've gone I flipped downs and quarters a few times here. But in the fourth section of this show, uh, we'll do Ask Jay. 
Uh, just some thoughts from what we got online and then, you know, college football playoff stuff. Want to get Jay's opinion on the Florida State thing. So we'll end the show with that. Before we get going here, please rate, subscribe, give us a five star, tell a friend, share it on social media, all the stuff uh, that it takes to grow a podcast. Our uh, sponsor right now is Homefield Apparel. If you'd like to become a sponsor, please let one of us know. Uh, at Homefield Apparel, you can use promo code WHOOP, W H O O P, uh, and get 15% off of your first order with Christmas coming up. Uh, that would be a great gift uh, for your favorite Aggies in your life. You can just go shop at one place, get everybody a t-shirt or a bomber jacket. I'm, I want a bomber jacket. I need to figure out what school I want to get a bomber jacket of. UTSA is not on the home field apparel uh, list of schools that, that they have stuff on. So I'd have to choose a secondary one there. That is the, uh, the first part of the show. Jay, let's get into it. Coaching stuff in first down. The biggest news so far outside of Mike Elko's hiring, which we talked about uh, when that happened in our previous podcast, Elijah Robinson, everybody's favorite Texas A&M assistant coach, uh, leaving to become the Syracuse defensive coordinator. This almost feels like the perfect split. Mike Elko coming in, probably wanting a lot of new faces. A lot of times you don't want the friendliest face in the room to stay because you want guys to become loyal to you, not to loyal who they are. I have an uncle who is a regional manager at a big store we would all recognize. And the first thing he does is fire the most liked person and the most hated person when he takes over a store, right? You fire the most hated person because you're trying to curry favor. You fire the most liked person. That way they don't keep going to that gal or, or dude um, instead of you the whole time, right? It feels like Mike Elko was going to have to keep Elijah Robinson for obvious reasons. But Syracuse taking him as a DC is good for Erop. He gets to be a defensive coordinator for the first time. And I think it's ultimately good for Mike Elko and his staff to just clean slate it. Let's bring in our guys. Let's start this thing over and not have loyalties kind of split between old staff, new staff, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's definitely something to consider. Uh, my thought was that with Elijah Robinson already having some familiarity with Mike Elko, and, and having coach on the same staff as him, maybe it would be easier there. Uh, but everything that you said made sense. Uh, and for Elijah Robinson, I mean, it, it's tough to get those opportunities without moving, right? Like I, I, everybody that I've talked to in the coaching industry pretty much has said the same thing where it, it's tough to just move up within a, a job or within yeah. a within a program. Uh, in order to advance up the coaching ladder, you're going to have to make some changes. Uh, and, and in this case, you know, uh, E-Rob's a Northeast guy, right? Uh, he's a uh, New Jersey. He went to Penn State. Uh, Syracuse, I think, is like three, four hours away. So he's not far from home. Uh, and, and he's going to coach with a guy that he's known for a long time and friend Brown, too. So it, it's it's kind of a perfect storm of factors for, for Elijah Robinson to try to make that jump and uh, become a, a defensive play caller and uh, try to advance up the uh, rungs of the coaching ladder, as it were. To be clear, I, I'm not saying that there would have been purposeful strife between E-Rob and Mike Elko or any type of conscious like, hey, it's just a subconscious thing when you're a player who got recruited by E-Rob, loves E-Rob, and they're going to bring in a new defensive coordinator. It wasn't going to be Elijah Robinson, most likely at A&M as the defense coordinator. If it was, he'd still be at A&M, right? Uh, but they were probably going to bring in a defense coordinator. Now you got the defensive coordinator that's got to kind of figure out who's in charge and letting the players know who's in. There's just there's some headaches there 
that could pop up. Maybe that would have not, never come to fruition. Uh, but I do think it's something that happens in, in, in managing leading worlds. Um, and so I, I don't see it as that huge of a deal. Florida defensive line coach Sean Spencer uh, tabbed as the replacement, was at Penn State before, uh, has done an excellent uh, job with defensive lines. Florida's best defensive lineman was from Maynard in Texas. So, you know, used to used to recruiting um, in the state of Texas as well. Any thoughts there on, on replacing him or replacing Elijah uh, with Coach Spencer and kind of what that's going to do for the defense? Yeah, and uh, Coach Spencer is also another guy that spent some time at Penn State. Uh, guy he had developed up there by the name of Micah Parsons ended up being pretty good. Yeah, he's solid uh, at football. He probably has a future. <laughs> so uh I, I I mean obviously I didn't want to see Erob go. Uh, but talking to people that I've known around circles and in, in Florida and uh Penn State and, and other stops that uh Sean Spencer has made along the way, uh this seems like a very good replacement uh as far as filling in both as a developer of talent and as a recruiter. Uh Sean Spencer ticks both of those boxes. Uh, I also love the nickname Coach Chaos. Uh, I think that's a, a great moniker uh, for a defensive line coach. So lo- looking forward to, to seeing what Sean Spencer is able to do uh, in Aggieland. SEC background, obviously, coaching at Florida, so not going to be surprised by anything he sees there in the Southeast. Is it interesting? I think this is happening more and more. Is it is it odd that some of these assistants are being rumored or announced before we know who the coordinators are going to be like Mike Elko's, you know, we'll talk, uh, Derek Miller's being, uh, rumored as the next general manager, Adam Cushing offensive line. Who's coming over from Duke ish art, art, uh, I can't say his last name. Art, art, how do you say his last name? Do you know? I, I, we'll just go with coach ish. Yeah. Works, coach ish, right? coach ish. Uh, I need to do some more research here. Uh, defensive backs coach. Is it interesting to you? Some of those names are obviously familiar Duke guys to Mike Elko. Uh, but is it weird or different to hire some of those guys before you have a coordinator in place? Uh, it is and it isn't. And you're right. Cause like you'd think that a coordinator would want to bring in his own guys. And so maybe you leave some of those positions open. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, you know, if you're a head coach, you want to bring some of the guys, reward some of the guys that have been loyal to you, bring them along. Uh, and, and I mean, there's just so many different variables to think of that we don't even get into on the show, like families and 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 people wanting to stay in certain spots or people wanting to, to get back or recruiting ties, you know, specific high schools that they may know or uh, just so many different things that could go into selecting position coaches. Uh, I, I usually think of getting the coordinators first and then building the staff around those coordinators, uh, because those coordinators are going to be working closely with the position coaches more so than the head coach anyway. Uh, but I think in this scenario too, part of it is there's some pressure to make some big hires at the coordinator positions too. Yeah. Uh, and you may so, have to wait on those guys. Yeah. You, you may have to wait on guys that are, you know, coaching in, uh, various levels of competition still in the postseason uh to make announcements so we'll see uh i think uh there's definitely some some names out there that that people want to see targeted i don't know that you know am is going to necessarily be able to pull these guys if elk is going to be able to pull these guys but uh there are definitely some names keeps keep their keep your eye on coach ish's last name is spelled a-r-i-s-t-i-d-e 
So anybody listening to this podcast, I mean, I can look this up afterwards. We're just recording, so I I, I can't stop and look this up. I should have looked it up beforehand, but uh, there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on here around the state of Texas right now. Uh, I just didn't quite get to a pronunciation of the rumored defensive back coach, but we'll figure that out. Yeah, we need the uh, pronunciation guides at all times. Yeah, I tried uh, to look at Duke's site, site while you were talking, and it gave me no help. So I'm going to have yeah. to go like find an interview or something like that about it and, and listen to him. Um, let's get into the coordinator stuff. Um, you know, that's kind of the the next big thing um, for Aggie fans. The assistant coaching stuff is important. Strength and conditioning, obviously, what that's going to look like. The general manager uh, with Derek Miller, I think, is a, a big piece of news that we can dig into if we would like to. Uh, but what are your thoughts on what? Let's start with the defense because that's Elko's side of the ball. Do you think he just brings in Santucci back, or do you you think he goes outside of that tree, kind of knowing some of the feelings that maybe still exist on at least A and M Twitter and message board uh, life? Yeah, I don't think you can read too much into the message uh, boards and then the Twitter about Santucci. Mark Stoops but... would disagree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, the vocal, uh, people, I guess, uh, you know, you have, you have, uh, local yokels and you have vocal yokels. That's and, right. Uh, That's right. It has plenty of the plenty of both. Uh, but, uh, no, I mean, I think part of it is there, there may be a little bit of recruiting questions about Santucci just from his time at A&M. I think the players that I talked to that played for him liked him. I've uh, never met somebody who didn't like Tyler. I mean, I just so, haven't, I haven't seen him. I hadn't heard a player ever say that. I hadn't yeah. heard a recruit say that, to be fair. I've heard it on message boards, but like, I actually haven't heard it from the recruit. I don't know of any Anthony Hill quote that is like, well, I'm not going there because of Tyler Sanctucci or whatever. You know, like that was more message board stuff than reality in my, from what I know. Yeah. And, and people want to jump to conclusions about things like that. And that's why I'm like, you know, I, I think people that are worried about Elko bringing Santucci along, uh, are, are a little bit overblown, but if I'm Tyler Santucci, maybe I don't want to go with some people right. that uh, uh, over analyze and, and jump to conclusions that aren't true. Uh, with that being said, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Santucci ends up coming along. I just think that uh, these coordinators hires are going to be, they're going to try to get some names in. Uh, I think that's just going to be what A&M kind of wants and something that's probably been communicated to Elko. Uh, it's like there, there's again, this goes back to the problems with alignment. Uh, maybe it would be better to just let the head coach do all of this on his own, but I think there's going to be some pressure, uh, from outside the coaching circles, uh, to, to get certain guys in. Uh, so it may be that a guy like Santucci, because of these message board opinions that, that shouldn't matter, uh, in the long run. Uh, it may be that a guy like Santucci is is lower down on the list of some of the people influential within the program outside of coaching. Uh, so maybe it's a deal where AM doesn't get the first guy and they circle back. But I, I man, it, it's just there's so many names out there that it's tough to predict exactly what path uh, Elko is going to take with building the staff. Is it hard for a defensive minded coach to hire a defensive coordinator? Like if you're one of those big name defensive guys, do you want kind of like how Jimbo with offensive coordinators, maybe not in the exact same vein, uh, but you're hiring more of an assistant to the assistant manager, right? You know, like whatever that is on the office, you know, 
um, more so than just a guy like the offensive guy is going to have more autonomy because Mike Elko isn't an offensive genius who has done it correctly before over and over and knows better. Right. I mean, it's, I, I wonder if the defensive side will have a smaller name quote unquote than the offensive guy, because can you go out and get a Joe Rossi from Minnesota or whatever, if you're not going to just completely turn over the defense to him? Yeah, and it's uh, I mean, it's kind of a similar deal to uh, Dave Aranda at Baylor, right? Where right. it's it can be tougher. Whatever side of the ball that you're on, you're going to want to in- implement your own principles. Yeah, and you uh, should. That's why you got hired. That's why you got exactly. hired. You should. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's go with what you know, right? Uh, well, whatever whatever brought you to the dance is is what you're going to stick to. And then the other side of the ball is is where you kind of get more free reign. Obviously, as a head coach, you're going to have to have some some influence on both sides, game planning and whatnot. But yeah, I think it's definitely harder for a defensive coach to go in and give up what is his baby, right? Like yeah. that is, uh, you know, you have he's going to so peek much. into that room a little bit more often. You know, like you know, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? You know, <laughs> I would do this on third down. You know, you've ever thought about that on second and long? Like that's going to happen more than on the offensive side of the ball. Exactly, uh, and and so it's one thing I think a defensive coordinator uh, or or any coordinator likes to have a little bit more freedom, uh, so that can maybe like to your point make it a little more difficult to uh, get a defensive coordinator to come in knowing that. You know, Elko is going to be probably a little bit more involved with the, with the game planning and the play calling side of things on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but at the same time, it's also a, an, an opportunity for a coordinator to learn because uh, the thing about the coaching business in, in general is just there's so much exchange of ideas uh, and, and principles and, and little tweaks that maybe you didn't think of before that you can learn. Uh, so, yes, like you want to have that autonomy, but at the same time, uh, you also want to learn as much as you can on the job. And I think uh, learning from one of the better defensive minds in the game and Mike Elko is, is also an opportunity that would appeal uh, to some of those names. So it, it's yeah. it's a catch-22 double-edged sword for sure. Yeah, I mean, Saban figured it out, you know, how to, how to have some defensive guys come in there. And to your point, they knew having success in a Nick Saban-style defense was going to help them be better coaches, but also put them on a platform to go get a head coaching job. And so... Yeah. Um, that, that is a good point there. Um, I'm going to throw some names out of like guys who I would kick the can on. Um, I already said one, I think Joe Rossi at Minnesota is one of the best defensive minds in the country. I I would absolutely call him, you know, A&M's a better job than, than Minnesota. Uh, Morgan Scally at Utah. I would call every Utah assistant coach of all time. I would call Kyle Winningham. You know what I mean? Like I would call everybody associated with Utah, um, well, I'll bring them back up when we get to the offensive side of the ball here in a little bit. Uh, Tony Gibson at North Carolina state, uh, also a, a really good one where you think you could probably go poach and hire uh, one. And then off the board here that I don't think anybody's going to mention too much. Scott Simons at SMU, uh, has done an incredible job. He was at Liberty before SMU now, um, for two years, SMU's defense has been putrid since like the eighties, really like they have never been good at defense. They were top 20 uh, defense in the nation this year. And it really helped them go win a conference championship last week against Tulane with their backup quarterback. Like that defense has been outstanding. He also kind of bases out of the same type of stuff that Elko has a younger guy who, to your point may do the two or three mentorship years and then go get a head coaching job. So 
those are some of the names that I, I would look at. Brian Brown at, at Cincinnati um, is another one. So should be plenty of, of young, exciting defensive coordinator guys that Mike Elko can kind of hook up with, partner with, and, and try to blend uh, both both philosophies together into one. Yeah, Simons is a name that uh, I was actually going to bring up because I, I was kind of excited about what he did at SMU this year. Obviously, me being originally from the Metroplex, SMU was kind of a program that I was keeping an eye on. I used to get dragged to like FCA functions there uh, every once in a while. And and like you said, SMU, for as long as the program has been back from the death penalty, has always been more of an offensive-style program. I mean, uh, June Jones, uh, Sonny Dykes, like these are all offensive guys, and, and Brent Lashley is an offensive guy too. Yeah. Uh so what Simons has been able to do there in and and at the hilltop is uh impressive in my opinion. And uh you know, I, I got burnt on that a bit this year because I expected SMU to be typical SMU, score a ton of points and uh give up a ton of points. And uh that wasn't the case for the Mustangs. The defense won them a lot of games this year. Uh and as the game continues to be more spread principled, uh it's also just kind of the the offenses that you're going to face is is it's a good uh indicator there for for what he's done at smu but yeah there's a it's definitely going to be interesting to see the approach that, that mike alco takes here i believe turning it to the offensive side of the ball here this is where i think they go big swing right I mean, they don't need a big time defensive coordinator they have one his name is mike elko he's the head football coach and he's getting paid six million dollars a year you go big swing on the offensive side. You you get you get a pseudo assistant for Elko, in my opinion, like a glorif. You know, like you get him a partner in crime on the defensive side of the ball. You get a gunslinger on the offensive side of the ball that can just be a hired gun that you pay two million dollars a year to be one of the best uh, coordinators in the game. Who are a few names that maybe pop out to you on that side of the ball just initially here? And we're not reporting anything. We're just playing fantasy general manager what we would do uh if we were looking at some guys yeah uh obviously will stein i think is the the first name that would pop up for anybody uh sean lewis was a big one before he took the head coaching job at san diego state i think he'll be really successful there uh you know you just kind of look around and 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 see what's available uh you know, you guys, <laughs> dave campbell's published a a piece on the incarnate word staff uh uh you know, obviously that place has been putting out a lot of a lot of uh, talented coaches recently. Uh, you know, uh, as an off the cuff name, a Connor McQueen there as the offensive coordinator incarnate word. Obviously, I don't think they're going to go to that level. But me as an A and M guy who who played with McQueen and, and Kenny Hill and those guys at, in College Station, uh, McQueen's been under a lot of good names. He's been an assistant under Lincoln Riley. He's been an assistant under Chip Kelly. So you know that he has some. Uh, uh, some some a wealth of knowledge, we'll say, when it comes to being an OC, and now he's OC at Incarnate Word, who continues to be an offensive powerhouse. So it's uh, there's lots of names out there. Uh, again, probably not realistic on that last one, or uh, you know, Wilstein getting Wilstein out of Oregon is going to be tough. But uh, there's no shortage of of offensive brilliance out there to try to tap for for the Aggies. Kevin Johns is the offensive coordinator at Duke, and he was under Mike Elko, so that's that's a name just to monitor there, just because of the familiarity. 
Um, Brennan Marion at UNLV is one I would consider. You know, he's been at Texas before. He obviously knows the lay of the land, would be great on the recruiting trail. Kids absolutely love him. He's young. He was an absolutely monster receiver at, at, at Tulsa. If you want to go watch some highlights, he has his own little offense with the go-go offense. It's it's very fun. Uh, uses athletes a lot. Like I, I think the Aggies would like that one. He was in on the UNLV job, uh, probably second place there to Scotty Walden from Austin P who ended up getting it. So, you know, I think Marion's one to watch. Remember he's who replaced Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino was at UNLV for a cup of coffee, came over to Texas A&M. Well, they hired Bob, they hired Brendan Marion and we're much better off uh, for that. UNLV makes the Mountain West Conference Championship. I think he's one to watch. Uh, you mentioned Will Stein. Andy Ludwig, Ludwig at Utah is another one, just a power, just like, I think that type of offense works for a Mike Elko type dude. Like Elko would love that type of offense. It would be complimentary. Uh, Warren Ruggiero at Wake Forest. Like, I don't know, like I'm kind of an RPO nerd, nerd and he runs it in a way that like nobody else runs it. And so I, that I hate cool. the claw fence so much. Just the, uh, the extra long, yeah, uh, the slow mesh, mesh point. Yeah. I slow mesh RPO. So much. Dude, as a defensive lineman, it's probably a good sign. Right? It works. I mean, <laughs> the last three quarterbacks of Wake Forest have been the best rated in, in the ACC. Is is EPA is, is always top twenty? Like that thing. That thing works. It's, it, yes, that's another good point. If you don't like it, I think it it bolsters my opinion. Uh, that is a good. <laughs> that, is, that is a, a good offense because you just find it annoying. And so, like, if you find it annoying, then that that is good. Um, Tim Cramsey from Memphis. Uh, he's got yeah. some got some Texas ties. He was at Sam Houston uh, for a little while. I got one for you. What about Alex Atkins at Florida That's, State? Yeah, yeah, that'd be another good one. I thought you were going to say Brian Ferentz there for a second. No, uh, not Brian Ferentz. Alex Atkins <laughs> at, at Florida State. And here would be my pitch to him. Hey, you're not in a real conference, bro. You know, like they don't consider y'all real. Like they look at you like the American and the Mountain West and Conference USA. Come to one of the only two conferences that apparently matter. We'll talk about this in the fourth quarter. I, this is me being very upset right now. Uh, coming to one of the two conferences that matter, um, you probably get a little bit of a pay bump. I, I think he's one there. Uh, what are your thoughts on Phil Longo? Uh, I, I don't have too many thoughts on Phil Longo. Yeah, I think he stinks. I wouldn't go Phil Longo, but he's another <laughs> name um, that I heard as well. Um, and I Phil's not bad. He just hasn't hasn't changed his philosophy when everybody else in the air raid will tell you that stuff doesn't really work anymore unless you do it a little bit differently. And he, refused. well, and, and Elko talked about adaptability being a big part of, of what yeah. they want to do on offense. So that's why I think uh, maybe one of the younger, fresher minds is, is yeah. going to be the call on that, on that front. Yeah. Will Stein, I think would be my first call. I do think Brennan Marion would be number two. Um, and then we'd move on from there is how maybe I Dana would... Holgerson. I mean, he's going to be looking for a job. No, I don't sorry. think I don't I, think Dana Holgerson is looking for a job. I think I he is either. looking for the next blackjack table or craps table that can uh, get him on a heater. Uh, I think he is looking for an empty spot at the bar. I think Dana Holgerson is about to have an epic 2024 and it does not involve calling plays anywhere. Yeah, he's he's over at the Golden Nugget in Lake Charles right now. Now that boy's in Cabo. He's in Cabo right now. He is okay. he's he is not in the country. He has used his passport <laughs> to go somewhere. I can I don't want to break news on the website, but he is not in America. I can tell you that. <laughs> I can tell you that with pretty much certainty. Um, so that dude, yeah. Anyway, I love Dana. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry we no longer have him in the state. I get why Houston fired him, but like just from a selfish personal reason, 
uh, Holgerson cracks me up. Yeah. So yeah, those are, uh, those are any other names you got for the coordinator stuff. Just get that out there that way in a couple of weeks when one of the 50 people we uh, list is right, we can go, Hey, look at that. We had this, we had this, like, you know, uh, people do that. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have any off the top of my head. Uh, unfortunately, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, just, uh, not my area of expertise. Uh, but yeah, it'll, it'll it'll be interesting to see just kind of what route Anum goes there. Uh, Do you have a style of play you want? See, like you you brought up like the physicality of of Utah and their offense and what they do. Uh, I really think that that Elko's going to want to go with a more exciting offense based on what he said at the press conference. Uh, I, I think he's going to go more towards like a uh, like you said a Brendan Marion like a go go like innovative offense uh will spread principles uh throw the ball around a little bit try to get your athletes in space i think that's going to be more the direction that elko goes but who knows i mean <laughs> again this is uh dealing with unknowns it's there's a lot of questions uh what's what's the kansas offensive coordinator's name uh he, I think just, he just got a new job though at penn state yeah, yeah that's right never mind I mean, again, this is the coaching carousel. Trying to keep track yeah. of everything is uh, it's a bit chaotic. Talk <laughs> Colin Klein, you know, just kind of ram a batter, you know, battering ram into to everybody play. Yeah, I don't know if I want to do that with Wegman. <laughs> yeah, no, not with Wegman. I I do wonder. That's the other part of all this kind of stuff is like in 2023 with the transfer portal and more player empowerment and NIL. How much does your current roster and specifically your court, current quarterback? play into decisions like this in a way that maybe it didn't in 1994. I think it plays a big role. I think I, uh, I, I can't pinpoint the exact example, but I remember a head coach talking about bringing in an offensive coordinator and uh, the quarterback sitting in on interviews with it. Uh, there was an example of that in college football. I can't remember for the life of me exactly who it was, uh, but yeah, the, like especially with an elite quarterback really being able uh, to will a team to victory, maybe on a level that isn't as uh, prevalent at higher levels of football like the NFL. Uh, I think you're really going to want your quarterback. If you think, if you believe in that guy, you're yeah. going to want to get him involved in the decision on, on what offense coordinator going to hire. Before we move um, into transfer portal stuff, Derek Miller, rumored general manager, uh, also would be following Mike Elko over from Duke. How important is that job in today's world? <laughs> Well, it's it's very important because I'll tell you, we didn't have general managers when I was playing just uh, 10 short years ago. Uh, so it, it's just with all of the recruiting and and uh, multitude of factors that are present now that, that maybe weren't present previously, uh, the general manager is a huge position from guys I've talked to. I mean, it is just a, a, a massive role, a lot of responsibility and undertaking that, that gets things done. Uh that you know it's you talk about levels of organization within a program and how important it is to be organized on all fronts from uh game planning recruiting and everything uh, a general manager is going to be a guy that makes a lot of that stuff go uh it's not the same as like a general manager in a uh, nfl or a baseball sense uh but there are some similarities there that you know when, when a team is is struggling uh 
as far as just the organizational aspects, you can you can trace that back to the general manager. So having that guy in place is very important, and especially with a guy in Derek Miller that uh, has SEC experience. He was an SEC uh, at LSU. He was a player personnel guy. So there there's some key factors there that that go into being a successful general manager at the college level. So far, that's Elko's best move. Uh, get, getting Derek Miller locked up, getting him in there, making that role important from the jump. Like we were bringing in because with the port, they're your first line of defense in the portal um, for your own team. They can be kind of big brother a little bit on what's out there and what's not out there and kind of give some guys some truth bombs on what the grass would look like on the other side. But also they're kind of the first filter of let's find the guys who fit our style. Let's find the guys who fit our profile of player. Let's eliminate all that other noise. And here's the 10 guys at running back to really look at coach blank instead of like, here's 80 dudes in the portal, figure out which ones you like. Like they kind of, they're the filter. They're the the sifter there um, for a lot of that kind of stuff. Alex Brown at SMU is a big reason why the Mustangs have turned it around there. Um, and so I, I do think that is one uh, to, con- you know, to kind of clap, give some flowers to like that is that's an important one. I think that's going to be big um, for this first roster, especially like having him right away, kind of ground running, getting into the portal it, um, is going to be big. Let's move um, to second down in the transfer portal. Uh, Max Johnson uh, jumped in. Looks like he's headed towards North Carolina. Uh, Walter Nolan. Uh, the biggest name so far. We'll talk about him specifically in a second. Uh, Jordan Gilbert, the the safety who missed most of this year uh, with injury, is in there. A few offensive linemen, which you always expect when a position coach is gone. Uh, Jordan Mocha, Remington Strickland, James Bailey, uh, young wide receiver Raymond Cottrell, uh, also in the portal. Um, let's talk about Max Johnson first before we get into Walter Nolan. Big loss, small loss, really no loss with, with Jalen Henderson being there and Connor Wegman hopefully coming back. Uh, I still think it's a loss just from the experience standpoint. And, and, you know, I think Max Johnson was a great, reliable backup. I do think that loss is mitigated a little bit by what Henderson was able to do in the past two weeks of the season. Uh, and, you know, theoretically with Wegman uh, also uh, coming back healthy, you know, and the other thing too is just there's so much in the portal uh, from a quarterback standpoint. Uh, obviously, Ohio State, uh, Kyle McCord entering the portal is wild to me. Uh, Gabriel from OU is in the portal. So from, from a Max Johnson standpoint, like I would have loved to keep him as, as kind of that, uh, experienced guy in the quarterback room, uh, and a, and a reliable backup in case guys go down. But, uh, I think he made the right move for him. And I, I think that A&M will be able to mitigate that loss between Wegman and, and, and Jalen Henderson. Riley Leonard's out there. He is. I think he ends up at Notre Dame, but, uh, who knows? Yeah, I mean, are we... Will Rogers is out there. <laughs> are we for sure Connor Wegman's coming back? Or do you think that depends on the offensive coordinator hire? I think it does depend on the offensive coordinator hire. Uh, I am kind of basing it right off off uh, Connor Wegman coming back. I'm, I'm basing my response to Max Johnson leaving on, on Connor Wegman coming back. But uh, I do think that the offensive coordinator that, that Elko is likely to bring in, I think will lean himself more towards... Uh, a Wegman style offense uh, and simplifying that and, and developing him. So uh, we'll see. Uh, but, I, but I do think Wegman will be back at a and You can, you can disagree with this statement if you want to. I think it's harder to find an elite quarterback than an elite coordinator. And so you hold on to the elite quarterback and you find a coordinator that can work with them rather than 
bringing in an elite cord- coordinator and going find a quarterback because that's a lot. I mean, I know in the portal it's a little bit easier to do, but a lot of this is recycled trash, right? Like it, there's a reason that they're not going in the NFL or whatever, you know, like they're just average quarterbacks. Like Wegman's a potential future NFL type player. You bring in somebody who knows from day one, that's who you're working with. Like that, that would be my opinion on it. Yeah. And I think what uh, Wegman showed that potential this year. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that uh, it, it is more difficult to find an elite quarterback, especially at the college level, yeah. uh, than it is to to bring in an elite offensive coordinator. There's a reason that quarterbacks get paid a lot more in the NFL than coordinators do. You know, like it's it's you know scarcity. Yeah, there's there's just there's just not that many of them. Um, and in college, that's that's even especially true um, at that level, at least. Um, Walter Nolan going into the transfer portal. He has left the door open reportedly to A&M kind of being still in the mix. Do you see this as the future of college athletics where you're basically in the portal officially or unofficially uh, every single year? Cause you're making it known that like you're open for business, bub, you know, like if, if anybody wants to come and splash some money or give me this offer or look at a different spit, like, I think most of these star players are essentially in the portal every single year, even if they don't officially enter it yet. Yeah, no, like, uh, and, and that's something, another thing that I've talked to coaches about is just, you're constantly recruiting, uh, now more than ever, uh, just because of the transfer portal. The other thing too, is with Walter Nolan, I mean, obviously you lose your position coach, right? Uh, sure. Elijah Robinson. So that that's just another uh, piece of that puzzle. But, uh, you know, if you're recruiting at a high level and getting guys, you're going to get guys from out of state. Uh, guys might get homesick. Uh, guys might decide that, you know, when they get to campus, uh, spend a couple of years there, they're ready for the next chapter. I mean, there's so many different factors that could go into a decision to transfer, uh, which, by the way, that's something that, that makes me a little bit frustrated with fans. Uh, I, I get being disappointed in guys wanting to leave, uh, but you have no idea what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, and I, I think like, I, mean, I get it. Like it's there in the, in the word fan fanatic. Uh, we're not dealing with rational people for the most part. Uh, but just ha- have a little bit of grace for some, for some 18 to 22 to year olds, like making life decisions. Uh, you know, it, it's. I think there's so much pressure on these kids more so now they're under a microscope. There's so much media attention, uh, so many opportunities as far as monetary that weren't there when I was there. I mean, there's just, and I I don't understand looking at all of that and just, uh, getting pissed. And, and, and some of the comments that I see under guys deciding to enter the portal, uh, sorry to get off on that tangent there. That's my, my rant for this, but, uh, yeah, with, with Walter Nolan, like, Elite recruits, you're going to have to recruit them constantly and re-recruit them. Uh, so that's just kind of part of the game, as it were, especially if a coach moves on at their position. Yeah, I think fans lack perspective in this because a lot of the Texas A&M alumni group and student population grew up wanting to go to A&M. Like, that's what they wanted to do. Like they, Their dad was an Aggie, their mom was an Aggie, their grandpa, whoever, like they liked that, you know, like they, they grew up with that fan base. And so like, they can't imagine leaving it for somewhere else. This is a job. And as soon as you start looking at it that way, then it becomes obvious what is happening. I love Dave Campbell's Texas football. I have enjoyed everything that they've given to me. The best job I've had to date. If somebody else calls with more money or better benefits or a bigger role or whatever that is, like I'd be dumb 
not to look into it. And that has nothing to do with my like or dislike of Dave Campbell's Texas football. That's just what we all do with our career all the time. And we never hold ourselves to the same standard that we try to hold these college players to. And Walter Nolan did not grow up wanting to be an Aggie. He did not have 12th man gear in his room. He did not go to a bunch of games. He came here to play football, to make money, and to go get drafted into the NFL. And if he feels like he can do a couple of those things better somewhere else, or if he's got a a girlfriend somewhere or a kid or a mom, like you said, you never know why somebody is trying to get into the portal. And he may end up back at A&M. Uh, if, if coach Spencer and him hit it off and it works out that way. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I, I think fans kind of show their ass a little bit sometimes um, with this kind of stuff. And then they wonder why there's no loyalty. And it's like, well, y'all don't have any either. Y'all are bashing this dude. The second he makes a decision that doesn't line up with what you want, you weren't loyal either. You just liked him because he went to A&M and so, or Texas or USC or whatever your, your choice of, of school is it's not just an Aggie thing it happens at, at every single program UTSA lost their best player to the portal today and I've seen it from the UTSA fan base right so it's not just a 12th man thing but it is it is a very I don't know ownershipy way to look at this stuff like you kind of you know you don't you know this is not 1984 anymore um portal wise who are you got a couple names I think Connor Wegman we talked about obviously uh, uh, as one you got to keep around does anybody jump out to you as like priority one B one C of like, we got to keep this dude in the program. Yeah. I think uh Wegman is, is definitely one of them. Uh, you know, I think you'd like to keep Evan Stewart around if possible. Uh, you know, especially with an I Smith moving on uh, from a, from a defensive standpoint, uh, obviously you want to keep uh the core of that front seven together if you can. So you'd like to keep Walter Nolan. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of talent there as well. Uh, you know, a guy in, in Torian York is a, is a true freshman and obviously is, uh, played extremely well this year. I think he's going to be the core of that defense going forward. Uh, so that's somebody you want to keep. And again, bringing all this up, we're not saying that these guys are rumored or even likely to enter the portal. We're just saying that like, you're going to have to re-recruit your guys constantly, and, and these are guys that are going to be key pieces moving forward. Uh, Who do so you I see? I think uh, Jacoby Matthews at safety yeah. is is one that, you know, I think you want to keep a close eye on as well. Bryce Anderson feels like one as well, just like keeping around some leaders, you know, who are, who've played a lot, who kind of can bring in some of the new guys and be like, here's what we do here. Here's how we do it. Here's, here's where the, the food hall is. Here's where class, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, he or he seems like one of those guys on the defensive side of the ball. Um, just off of kind of what we know is in the portal now or what is being lost, what are a couple positions you think AM will attack in the portal? I think offensive line is going to be a spot that that AM clearly attacks. And you lose probably your best offensive lineman, Lane Robinson. He's accepted a senior bull invite. Uh and and a, a position group that it was a, a place of struggle. Uh, during the 2023 season. So that's something you want to address right there. Uh, I think corner is probably another position that a and going to want to address. Uh, obviously, you know, things may change, and then there's still some guys that could develop, but Deuce Harmon is a guy that I think could still develop uh, pretty highly, but uh, that's another position you want to get to. Uh, man, those two positions, I mean, defensive line, you always need depth. On, on the trenches on both sides. I already talked about offensive line, but defensive line, you're going to want depth there as well. 
uh, and then linebacker depth too, uh, right? Like, I think AM got pretty lucky with with Russell and and York and and Cooper staying healthy all year. Yeah, because we they talked got about lucky how that York was that ready. Yeah, also one hundred percent true. Uh, so I think linebacker could be another position that AM goes and, and looks to address the portal. And I also think Mike Elko is going to be a little bit more active in the portal yeah. uh, than his predecessor was. So uh, those are the positions I'm keeping an eye on. I mean, uh, to be fair, I named just about most of most of the uh, the field, but. Uh, in this age, when you're trying to maintain depth and, and uh, keep your roster, uh, you know, uh, adequate on, on both sides of the ball, you're going to have to to go just about everywhere in the portal. Yeah, offensive line, cornerback feel like the two big ones. Edge rusher, I think, is is another one that I would I would try to look at there. I mean, A&M's got really good defensive linemen. I don't know if they have a feared pass rusher. Um, UTSA's Trey Moore. Just jumped into the portal. He had, I think, 10-plus sacks um, this last year, over 14 tackles for loss, led the state in, in sacks and tackles for loss. So he's one um, that I would look at for, for A&M and the Longhorns, by the way. He's going to be a hot commodity there um, on the transfer portal trail. Third down here, we'll talk about the bowl game. Texas A&M is playing Oklahoma State on December 27th. That's a Wednesday at 8 p.m. in the Texas Bowl at NRG Stadium. It will air on ESPN. Jay, one to ten. What's your excitement level for a Texas Bowl against Mike Gundy? <laughs> uh, it's a selfish eight because I can go to the game because it's in Houston. Uh, and as far as the actual a game itself, eight. yeah, it, it's. Uh, I mean, look, there has not been a more enigmatic team <laughs> than Oklahoma State in twenty twenty three. Early in the season, losing thirty three to seven to South Alabama. Uh, losing to Iowa State in a close one, and then all of a sudden they beat OU in Bedlam in the final Bedlam game, and then they go to UCF and they lose forty-five to three on the road. Uh, so I don't know what version of Oklahoma State we're going to get. To be fair, uh, we also I like I don't know who's going to be coaching A and M in in the bowl that game. that was uh, question number three. Who in the hell coaches Texas A and M in this bowl game? Again, I'm available. I'm here in Houston. Yeah. So I mean, I think uh, Elijah's going to try to do some of both maybe even both you know like i do think yeah. that is the plan right now but who knows if he gets into that seat and it's like that's that you know i can't do that yeah and i have no idea just because i mean th- this process is changing from when i was at a and uh with with coaches and how things sh- uh, shake out uh we'll we'll see i mean i'm sure we'll get updates on that as it as it happens and and you know i i wouldn't be surprised if he rub hangs around but uh there's only so much you can do. Right. And, and, you know, it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it, it works uh, in the bull practices in general. I mean, you're going to have like assistants and, and GAs and analysts running a lot of those practices anyway, because your, uh, your position coaches and your coordinators and your head guy tend to be on the road on the recruiting trails pretty hard yeah. here uh, during, during the bull practices. So uh, it'll be interesting to just kind of see how all that stuff works out. Uh, again, it's, there's so many moving parts now. Like I, I, I'm with you. I don't understand why we do silly season during the, during the season, why we can't wait. Uh, but that's the way the rules are now with the portal and with the early signing period. So, uh, (laughs) you make the most of what you can do. In an ideal world, they just make a rule that says you can't move on from a head coach until after your final game. 
And if that's a bowl game, that is after your final game. And then everybody's on kind of this even playing field or just make it at the day after the national championship game. That way nobody is is figured out as just recruiting, right? It's, it's the recruiting thing that keeps that um, from happening because of the spring semester and the transfer portal and needing to get guys just to sped it all up. It's There is a calendar problem in college football. There is no way around it. And they have to figure out a way um, to fix it at some point. I've always heard coaches say, now this isn't true at, you know, the championship, the semifinal, but for these other bowls, coaches always tell me that the bowl practices are more impra- more important to them than the bowl game. The bowl game is just a celebration. Who knows who's playing, who's not playing, what goes on there. Uh, but the bowl practices allows a lot of the young guys that maybe didn't get a ton of reps during the season, some injured guys to get some reps who are getting back healthy. You're not preparing for a game as much. And so you're able to kind of use it as a pseudo early spring practice. I wonder as somebody who didn't play football, is that still true with the new head coach? Like how important do you think these bowl practices are for Mike Elko and the players on this team in terms of laying a foundation for 2024? Yeah. Well, part of it is, is it's a great evaluation period for Mike Elko. So he may want to see some of the guys that are uh, starters or, uh, you know, guys that he thinks are going to be starters in practice. Uh, it's a great opportunity for him to get to see some of those faces and, and see how they react under pressure. Uh, but yeah, I don't, you know, it, it's changed uh, how you approach practices when you, when you have a coaching change. Uh, again, I, I still think it's going to be kind of a deal where a lot of your starters probably aren't getting as many reps. Uh you know, for us at AM, when we were gearing up for the Chick-fil-A Bowl or the Liberty Bowl, it was a lot of getting guys who were very banged up, playing very banged up throughout the season healthy. Yeah. Uh, so part of that is, yes, you want to get those uh, younger guys opportunities with uh, with more reps in practice, but it's also a, a, a necessity to get some of the guys that are banged up a uh, time to rest. Because uh, you've been going for 13, 14 weeks, and it, it's it's a brutal grind on your body. Trust me, I know firsthand. Uh, yeah, but- I get it. I just did uh, 14 straight weeks on the road as a college football writer, which I assume is is pretty much the same thing. My body is is taking a pounding. Yeah, I mean, I, I did some road traveling Pause. myself. Sorry, I was making a joke. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> My, oh man uh well i just completely lost my train of thought that's how you know it's a good joke uh, oh man i do think that these practices are going to be like almost drill training and stuff like like you said like just trying to get a feel of who you have who you don't have because how much can you really install you know, yeah. like the offense and defense aren't going to look any different, right? They're just going to keep doing what they've already basically been doing into the bowl game. Yeah, this won't be an install period. It's going to be a lot of drilling, like you said. Uh, maybe fine-tuning some details. It's also not going to be as physical even for the guys that, that sure. haven't been practicing. Uh, and it's also, again, like I said, it, it's an opportunity for the coaches uh, to, to develop some too uh, because you're going to have assistants running the practices and, and making decisions. Uh, that's one of the things that I think people don't talk about enough is – uh, this is as much an opportunity for the assistant coaches to kind of run the room. Uh, whereas like GAs, since you're going to have your guys out recruiting, GAs will get their opportunity to lead room for a little bit. It, it's a, it's a growth opportunity for the whole roster and the whole staff. Uh, 
And I, and I think people maybe don't always realize that. And then as, obviously as you get closer to the actual game, uh, you ramp up the intensity and things start to build up there. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big development period for teams. And, and that's why like, I'm kind of interested with uh, the coaching change, how that's going to shake out as far as uh, guys hanging around and, 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 you know, the lower level coaches and staffers, how that's going to work for, for them. I've always wanted a new coaching staff to come in and then just like run the swinging gate and the bowl. You're like, just do something just completely ridiculous as their base offense, you know, just knowing that they just have a couple of weeks, let's go have fun. And like, this doesn't matter <laughs> for anything. Uh, but football is just way too serious for, for people. Like they just take it way too seriously, even in bowl games um, to do that. Like I would just go five wide, like, you know, like I would just make it just a completely different thing than you would do. No, let the defensive coordinator be the offensive coordinator. Let the offensive coordinator be the defensive coordinator for a day. You know, stuff like that. That's how that's how I would do yeah. um, these bowl games to make them more fun. Like, I would tune in if I was watching Ohio State's uh, bowl game and I knew that Ryan Day had to call the defense and the defense coordinator had to call the offense. Like, that would be fun. Uh, who knows? Iowa would score more points, maybe, if they allowed their defensive coordinator um, to score more points or to to call plays, so that would be cool. We need to on one of these episodes, we need to figure out a way to jazz up bowl season again, right? It's lost all of its luster. Uh, nobody cares, right? Like we're just we're fans that don't don't want an extra game of football unless it like has a national championship trophy on the line. You and I need to come together and figure out how we fix bowl season for everyone else because even after the twelve team playoff, there's still going to be another 120. Well, how many teams? There's 133 teams uh, in college football. Uh, I mean, just get this out of the way now. 90% of them still don't have a chance to make the 12 team playoff, right? And even if they do, 98% of them don't have a chance to win a national championship game. So we need to figure out a way uh, to make bowls fun again. Make bowls great again is what we need to do. Uh, let's move down to fourth down uh, and ask Jay uh, segment here. Before we get to a, a fan question or two, I wanted to ask you just your overall thoughts on the college football playoff uh selection the semifinals for those who don't know uh texas is going to play washington in the sugar bowl in the two three uh situation there and then michigan gets to go to the rose bowl uh, and as the number one seed their reward for that is nick saban in alabama yeah uh so the first thought is uh well i think florida state should have been in i think florida state got hosed uh i Look, I do. I think that Florida State probably would have lost to the four teams that made the playoff. Yes, yeah, uh, especially without Jordan Travis. But I don't see how you can look at a Florida State team that went undefeated, won their conference in a Power Five conference. Granted, say what you want about the ACC and and the level of competition, uh, they went undefeated and won their Power Five conference. Uh, they had a non-conference win over LSU and uh, Florida. Which is, and and Florida, uh, so they beat two SEC teams. Uh, I just I don't understand how you could look at that. They did everything within their power to make a playoff, uh, and they got left out because the playoff committee decided that they wanted to put Florida State in. I uh, understand. They wanted to put Alabama in. I would understand using the quarterback injury if it was a tiebreaker situation. If you had two 12 and one teams and you only had one spot left and let's say it was Florida or let's say it was uh Michigan, Washington and Florida state, just the three undefeated, the undefeated power five teams they were in. And now you're arguing the fourth spot and it's Texas versus Alabama. And Quinn Ewers breaks his leg in the fourth quarter of the win over Oklahoma state. 
I would absolutely understand picking Alabama in that situation because they're fully healthy. Sure, Texas beat them, but Quinn Ewers isn't there. Alabama's going to get in. But this wasn't a tie. This wasn't a tie break. Like Florida State is an undefeated Power Five champion. Like they are not from the MAC. Like they played in the ACC. They beat Florida with that backup quarterback. And then they beat a top 20 team in their conference championship game with their third string quarterback. I am with you. I think the committee did get the best four teams. And if that had always been the criteria in the 10 years previous, I would have no problem for with it, but it wasn't, it was never the best four teams. It was always the most deserving teams. And then the one year in which they were worried that they leave the sec champion out, they changed the criteria. And I think that's the problem here is the committee looked at it and thought without the sec champion or without a team from the sec in it, it is not a legitimate tournament, but leaving out Florida state made it not a legitimate tournament because they're going to claim a separate national championship if they win their bowl game. Like if Florida State wins their bowl game and is 14 and 0, they are going to claim a a split national championship and they will have a claim to it in a way that Alabama would not. Like if you leave out Alabama and they beat the crap out of somebody in their bowl game, you won't have people in 20 years talking about how that Alabama team got left out. They needed a 4th and 31 miracle nine days ago to beat freaking Auburn a week after Auburn lost to New Mexico State. This is not some kind of like gangbusters Alabama team that you couldn't tell the story of 2023 without. The committee got scared. The committee looked around and got scared that the SEC wasn't going to be around. And they remember TCU getting their brains kicked in and they didn't want a semifinal that was 65 to seven. And they cowered to Nick Saban and the big bad SEC. Yep. Uh, yeah. You pretty much summed it up uh, perfectly there. Uh, and, and my thing too is like, I, I just, I feel so bad for the Florida state players. Oh, uh, that defense was incredible all year. Uh, I mean, they shut down Jane Daniels uh, early in the year, and 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 I just I, if Georgia had lost their quarterback, they would have still been in. If Alabama lost their quarterback, they'd still be in because the committee would go, "Well, they win with defense." It's Georgia. It's Alabama. They play tough, hard nosed defense. Well, Florida State was second in stop rate behind Iowa in the country, and they're thirteen and zero. Like you can't. Football is not a pat. This is not figure skating. This is yeah. not like, uh, uh, you know, he got a 9.2 and this person gets an 8.8. They thought Washington was going to get killed by Oregon. Yeah. It's just, you cannot use Vegas lines as a way to pick a playoff. Um, or it's just an invitational, which I guess it's always been. And I don't know why I'm so mad about this. Yeah. And the, the other piece of this is I think if Georgia beats Alabama, then Florida state's in. I, I think that. Yes. Like. Georgia, whole, Georgia made it hard. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, it's just frustrating because uh, I just, I, I, I can't help but put myself in those players shoes. And if I go undefeated and, and uh, win my conference and, and beat two sec teams and uh, do everything that like, if you looked at this schedule and, and saw that and you say, Oh no. Yeah. Florida state's a playoff team. No doubt. Uh, but they get left out just because, like you said, the committee was scared of the SEC and and bowed and they kissed the ring. Uh, so it, it's I'm an SEC guy. Like I think the SEC is the best conference in college football. I don't think I do there's too. any debate on that. I do too, by uh, the way. But it, it's just I this year it didn't work can't, out. I can't justify it, especially with uh, just how 
how much the committee has has changed the rules they play by every year. I mean, that's a piece of this too. Is uh, the committee has just never been consistent on on the on the formula. Uh, they they change the formula based on what they want to see, and it's just uh, it's been incredibly frustrating. I just man, I, I'm struggling to come to grips with it because I think that uh, Florida State should be in, and I'm, I'm gutted for them. Uh, you know, I honestly like. I hope they blow out Georgia in their bowl game. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Georgia wins that game, but I hope Florida State blows out Georgia in their bowl game and just pl- plaster that banner up everywhere. Because uh, they, they'll they'll deserve to, to hang that banner. Because you're telling me like a team that beat you know LSU, uh, Florida, and Georgia goes undefeated, wins their conference, doesn't deserve to be called a national champion, I, and I Clemson and Miami and a ranked Duke team. Like, like, what are what are we doing here? Like, I went to UTSA. They're not playing the American schedule. They didn't beat, beat Rice, UTSA, Tulane, SMU, or whatever. Like, they beat Duke, Clemson, LSU, Florida, Louisville. Like, what, what, what are we? Ha- what's happening here? Um, that said, all of that said, Michigan, Alabama is going to be a banger, bro. Like, <laughs> like that I, is going to be. If you turn the page over, like, okay, that was shitty. And that's awful. And like they got jobbed. If you turn that page, right? And then you go, okay, I'm just gonna look at the 14 playoff. This could be the best year of the 14 playoff. Like there is not, I could for the first time, I believe, make an argument that any of the four teams involved could win. I cover TCU a lot. I knew for a fact they could win last year. Like I made more money on the TCU Georgia line than I've ever made on a college football game ever in my life. Cause it was just like so obvious, right? Yeah. Like this year, where is the, who is the squeaky wheel? Yeah. And you don't see one. And, and I don't think there is one. I also like there's storylines, right? Like Alabama, Michigan, obviously like two incredible brands. You have Washington, Texas playing in a rematch in the bowl game from last year. Yeah. Uh, I made already made my remember the Alamo bowl joke, but uh, it, it's uh, it's going to be a fun one throughout. Uh, you have so many incredible athletes and players. Uh, you know, I worry about Texas with Xavier worthy and, and, and that injury. Uh, but like Penix jr. Quinn yours, uh, Jalen Milrow in this back half of the season. Uh, I mean, there's just so much Blake Quorum at Michigan. Like, I look at all these rosters, and man, I'm just, I'm still mad about Florida State. But how can I not be excited about this? This is like in UFC when like somebody jumps to the front of the line that shouldn't because they talk their way into a title shot, uh, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean. John Jones has been sitting out for three years, but I'm getting to see John Jones fight <laughs> for a title. So <laughs> that is Alabama. Really be that mad. That absolutely is Alabama. They are like the John Jones of this sport. Whereas like, I don't know, man, maybe they don't deserve it, but like, God dang, they're really good. And they're always, they're always winning. Um, Nick Saban is, I mean, the goat, right? I mean, like there's no, like to get this team, like we were both in Kyle Phil to watch this Alabama team. Like this is not one of the better Alabama teams of the last 10 to 15 years. And here they are 12 and one with a win over Georgia, just sitting there, which that line opened up as Michigan minus two and a half and buddy, it will not be that for very long. So if you were on the Alabama side, hurry up before the Crimson Tide or or Tide or favorite. As soon as I saw that, I like stopped a podcast that I was doing with Republic of football and like, had to go place a bet because like, like that line was going to move immediately. I don't know who said that. That was absurd. Give me Alabama and that. Give me Texas in the Sugar Bowl as well. I do think this for Texas, though. 
Um, Washington is the worst matchup of any of the teams in the playoff against Texas. And this is going to sound absurd, but Texas has finally built a roster to where the physicality thing doesn't mess, mess with the Longhorns. You're not, you're not going to push around to Vondre Sweat. You're not going to push around Byron Murphy. Kelvin Banks is maybe the best left tackle in football. Like they're, they're going to be fine in the trenches. What Texas struggles with is guarding receivers down the field with their safeties and Washington's receivers are effing good and their offensive coordinator knows how to scheme stuff up the first quarter of texas washington is going to be a beautiful beautiful thing like grub script sark script like i like let's go like let's figure out what this is i think that is going to be the most fun game it like is like a modern uh military like helicopter like airplane fight you know like a top gun fight Whereas Alabama, Michigan is like trench warfare from 1945. Like that, th- that thing is going to be brutal. And I think the winner of Texas, Washington has an advantage in the national championship game because whoever comes out of Michigan, Alabama is not going to feel good. Whereas I think whoever comes out of Texas, Washington is going to win a high scoring fun football game. But like there's going to be beaten up and bruised people on the other side of the ball. I think the Sugar Bowl is the de facto national championship game. I think whoever wins that game between Texas and Washington wins the national championship. That's my hot it's, take. Uh, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I could see it too, especially with the physicality. Like you talk about teams coming off playing the academies, uh, a similar thing where like the week after, uh, you're going to be banged up. It's going to uh, be a bloodbath, dude. John Harbaugh, yeah. Nick Saban, like that thing. They're a whole month to prepare. Like that thing is going to be like, uh, I mean, that that's going to be brutal. That's <laughs> as a legit war game. Yeah, and uh, it's, but again, like you said, like. As, as mad as we are about Florida State being left out, how can you not be excited yeah. about this level of competition? Yeah. Oh, man, there's so there's so much so much fun uh, going on there. And uh, the coaches as well, uh, like you talked about game plan and giving 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 them time to to look at the rosters and and come up with a script. I mean, there's so many good play callers all around this thing. Uh, honestly, like if I had to pick a weakest link, uh, as far as as the coaching aspect of things, I'd probably go Michigan, right? Like, and I uh, I do not disagree with that. I think John Harbaugh, I would rank fourth as a head coach in this in this thing right now, and that's absurd. I know he has Steve Sarkeesian and DeBoer haven't done enough, maybe, to warrant that. But if I had to pick a coach to coach one of these games, I think I would pick Harbaugh fourth, just from what we've seen from him in these situations. Which is which is wild to say, but I, again, I, I don't yeah. disagree with you. So DeBoer's a star, dude. What he does on fourth, like a guy has no conscience. Like he, I, I would love to check his blood pressure during some of those fourth down calls. Like he didn't even think about it. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that stuff, man. He's, he's a superstar. Going to be a lot of fun. That one's going to be a lot of fun. Um, next up, we uh, at Robin or at Robert Hewen asked, "What is the best part of going to a bowl game from a player's perspective?" Per diem. You can't say mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah per diem that's correct you think that's as true in the nil world probably not probably not anymore uh now, the now it's like man what is this this is crumbs yeah. i can't even buy uh yeah the the per diem probably doesn't play as much of a factor with an <laughs> il now uh <laughs> that's so, so i'm i'm sure people out there know uh what per diem is but if you don't uh for the bowl games you used to get a little bit of extra money a little uh, cash just a little little cash for for going to a bowl game. You get some bowl gifts, which are really cool. Uh, I got a couple watches that I lost almost immediately after receiving them. Uh, I think uh, the Chick-fil-A bowl gave us a fossil watch. I don't know where that is. I think we got a Bolova watch from the Liberty Bowl. Don't know where that is. 
Uh, if if you find them, return to me <laughs> years after. I mean, those are long gone. Right. Uh, but no, I mean, like getting to actually spend time in the city because I, I like traveling. Uh, mm-hmm. But with like the the regular season, you don't spend any time outside of the hotel uh, unless you're going to like a team movie or something like that. So for me, the best part of the bowl game was basically getting a paid trip to go somewhere and you actually get to experience it. Uh, like we, we had some fun in Atlanta, uh, spent some time there. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't eat Chick-fil-A for a week after or, or for probably six months after because we had so much Chick-fil-A while we were there. That was kind of a rough one. Uh, for the Liberty Bowl, I got to experience Beale Street. We'll never go back there. Uh, yeah, you don't need to go back. <laughs> but it, it was cool to to go to Memphis and and, and see Memphis. Uh, get some barbecue there. Uh, Should I go to so, Graceland? Uh, some people did. I I decided not to take that trip. I think I may have been. Uh, that may have been post Bill Street. Uh, <laughs> so there are curfews uh, for for reference, uh, and you do have to be back back to the hotel before curfew. But I never had a problem with that. Uh, actually, one of the funny stories is. When we played in the Chick-fil-A Bowl in 2013, uh, our curfew was, I think, midnight. And we went to uh, Hooters on Peachtree Street, uh, not far from the hotel, to watch a UFC fight. It was Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman, too. And I remember sitting there watching that fight. And literally, we, we saw Anderson Silva break his leg. And then we had to like run back to the hotel to make it before curfew uh, because the fights went on so late. Uh, and we're running... In, in downtown Atlanta in, in a rainstorm trying trying to make sure that we get back uh but before that curfew ends uh and it had dude like just like things like that that you don't really experience on normal road trips as a college athlete that was a lot of fun and then lastly uh with the AM Aggies playing in the Texas Bowl there in your backyard in Houston. I was curious, what are two or three places you would send uh, a 12th man faithful uh, member here uh, to the bowl game in Houston to eat? Yeah. Uh, so our, our good fan, uh, Marco Regalado sent us to a, uh, a great Mexican restaurant that we had. Uh, Candente is, yeah, is that was really good. Kind of become one of my like go-to spots now. Uh, so if you're looking for a Tex-Mex spot, great place. Uh, you know, I, I plenty of barbecue spots and I don't want to like pick just one. So depending on what part of town you're in, like if you're up in the Montgomery area, go to Bar A Barbecue. If you're staying in the Heights, you know, Truth Barbecue or Pinkertons. Uh, if you're, you know, kind of west of town, Spring Branch area, Fijis Barbecue is great. Uh, if you're down by Pearland, go to Killens, uh, Blood Brothers in Bel Air. That's my, like, again, I don't want to pick out a single barbecue spot. So that's my barbecue spiel. Uh, and then make sure you try some of the really good Vietnamese food while you're here in Houston. Uh, Sin Chow is a good spot. Uh, I mean, you can just go down to uh, like the Mahatma Gandhi district in Houston and get some incredible Indian food. Uh, There's so many spots out here. Himalaya is a great restaurant for Indian food. Uh, make sure you try out some of the different cuisines that Houston has to offer because there is some great stuff. If you're into Chinese food, like actual Chinese food, go to Ma- Mala Sichuan Bistro. Uh, it is a fantastic Chinese food spot. So uh, that's the one problem that I've learned with Houston is there's too much good food. So I know I gave more than two or three uh, on the on that answer. I cheated a little bit, but uh, with a city as diverse as Houston, I felt like I had to give a few options. Yeah, it's tough, tough to be. I mean, that, I think it is unquestionably the best food city in, t- in the state. 
Um, I mean, I love Austin, but uh, Houston's got to beat there. <laughs> All righty, man. I think uh, that will do it for this episode of the Aggie War Pod. Please rate, subscribe, leave a review. Those reviews help us a lot. I mean, only if it's a good one. If you're listening still to this one, I'd hope it'd be a good review or you've wasted a decent amount of your time here on something that you don't like. So hate lessons. Yeah, hate, hate lessons, lessons. which is fine. Just hate, hate download, but don't hate review is all we're saying. Don't be a hater. <laughs> um, we're, we're trying our best here uh, for uh, for Jay Arnold. Mike Craven for uh, Dave Campbell's and the Republic of Football. We will see you probably in a week or two. We'll figure out kind of as the news comes down if we need one for next week. If not, one we'll get one before Christmas and definitely before the bowl game. Uh, please send us any questions online, uh, Twitter to Jay Arnold uh, for the Ask Jay segment, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.